Oh, I haven't podcasted in a while. It feels like me neither. Me neither. I guess we'll just get started. No time like the present. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Cinema Faith Podcast for April 2023. I'm your host, Jonathan Butrin, and I'm joined today by the short round to my Indiana Jones, Dan Baker. (laughs) Uh, Hey, John. You knew it was coming. I mean, come on. Well, I was hoping that we could be over the whole Temple of Doom thing, but I guess not. <laughs> yes, Dan is back, and he, of course, is the famous defender of Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, something we just can't let go. We can't do it. Although I will say in Dan's defense that I read an article with none other than Mr. Quentin Tarantino, who not only agrees that it's the best Indiana Jones film, but he says it's Spielberg's second best movie of all time, next to Jaws, wow. which I think is okay. a bonkers <laughs> opinion. But anyway, yeah. Quentin's on your side, Dan, and so I guess, you always I mean, love if, that guy. Yeah, I do. If, if he could be you know, my ally, then I'm good. Yep. All right. But before we get further here, we should get to the elephant in the room because Tim, of course, is not with us, and I'm sure that disappoints some of our Tim heads out there. But it's, they've got to come up with a better nickname for the for the Tim fans. But I have some terrible news on that front, unfortunately. Tim could not be with us this month because he is stuck in the one place that you really don't want to be stuck in, and that, of course, is Paris, France. Yes, Tim is in Paris. All right. He is. Again, I think again, because I'm pretty sure that he went there like six months ago. (laughs) I don't know how his scheduling works or any of that. But anyway, he's in Paris and our thoughts and prayers are with him, of course. And I'm sure he wishes he was here. But hopefully we'll have him back next month. But yeah, this is Dan's second time on the show. This is exciting. We were back. uh, Thor Love and Thunder, I think, was our last hurrah together and that was that wasn't a very good movie so i'm glad that today we are talking about a better movie than that that's exciting and it's our first 2023 movie actually dan we did a podcast in january but it was on uh babylon so this is our first brand new movie for the year exciting okay now i mean this movie i assume is not ever going to be a contender for any awards probably not but i mean it might sneak into my top 10 because like oh yeah it's like the top gun maverick of 2023 you know it's that it's that sneaky and that was nominated for best picture so who knows who knows anyway all right dan before we get to the movie of the day it's time for everybody's favorite segment and that is what have we been watching so i'm going to throw it to you our guest of honor dan what have you been watching lately has there been anything that's been interesting for you well we've been watching a couple of shows I'm a big fan of like documentary style shows, but my wife hates that stuff. So we always end up, we end up usually watching something a little more narrative driven. So we're testing out the show that I think we both got sick of and we're done with it now. It's called Will Trent. It's a detective style show. It's on Hulu. I don't know what the TV station is. Let's say ABC. It's apparently based on a popular book series. And it's about a detective who has kind of Sherlock Holmes style skills. It takes place in the modern world. He works down in Atlanta on a number of kind of urban crime cases. It's fine. I don't know. I, the writing's not great. The acting is 
I would say other than the, the two leads, the acting is almost horrible in some Yikes, uh, this sounds like a bad show. I don't, why are you no, watching this? <laughs> I mean, in the first episode, though, Mark Paul Gosseler, who I'll recognize as TV's, you know, that guy from Saved by the Bell, TV's uh, Zach. Yeah, 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 Zach, sure. He guest starred the, in the first two episodes. And so I think that was just kind of to pull in all the Gen Xers or something. But uh, <laughs> everyone's clamming for Zach. Right, right. Wasn't he in like NYPD Blue or something or one of those like cop shows for a while? I think you're right. Yes. Yeah. As a police cop, I believe. Mm-hmm. In this one, he was kind of the antagonist or at least an antagonistic character. Anywho, if you like detective stories from TV, then you might like this. Again, not great. But it's okay. I mean, we also been watching uh, what we do in the shadows, just as you know, for fun. Which I don't know if that show is completely done now. I don't know. I still haven't started. I want to. I've heard some so many yeah. good things about it. Yeah. It, I mean, it it's funny. It's very funny. So that's about so. There it. you go. Check out Dan's show if you don't mind terrible acting and writing and directing and yeah. Perfect. (laughs) Well, good. So, Dan, I've been, I told you a little bit about this when we were in person, but I've been changing my streaming habits a bit, and I decided to watch two shows as they're currently airing. So I'm watching Succession's last season on Mm. HBO, which comes out every Sunday night, and then Yellow Jackets on Showtime, which comes out every Friday night. And I just decided since they both premiered on the exact same night just to like go for it and just watch them week to week. And they're both great shows, obviously, especially Succession, which started out a little bumpy in its first season, but it really found its rhythm and turned into a great show. So I recommend both shows. But the reason I brought it up is like... I'm kind of digging the week-to-week thing, which is, of course, like what TV used to be. But I really got into this whole binging model. I'm sure most of us have. And I remember even when binging started with Netflix, like I remember the weekend that House of Cards came out on Netflix. I don't know if you remember, but like it was it was just such a revolutionary idea that it's like here's a brand new show and we're going to give you everything on Friday night. And you can do whatever you want with it, right? And I was like sick that weekend or something. And I watched at least like four episodes, but I could have watched the whole thing. And that was the magic of it. You could. You could just do it. And um, that like changed everything. And so I really got into this idea of binging. And I I usually wait until the full season is done. And then I just go at my own pace. But I decided to go back to this week-to-week thing. And I'm like kind of digging it because... It's sort of the way TV used to be where something big happens. Like on the last Succession episode, there's this big thing that happened. And then everyone talks about it for a week, right? You have like – you're sort of bringing back the water cooler – conversations right except it's all online so like you have this big twist and then throughout the week you can read articles where everyone's sort of like unpacking it and reeling from it and how's this going to affect the future and then you're anticipating the next episode and i just think there's like a little bit of magic that we've lost in binging because it's sort of i feel like binging has sort of turned everything individualistic right like our like like we love in america right but it it is it's like this go at your own pace don't tell me anything because i'm not there yet sort of thing whereas week to week is a very communal we're all watching this thing unfold together and I think there's something beautiful about it. So I've been really digging it. Do you have any thoughts on binging versus week to week? I, I mean, only only from the standpoint of, I kind of feel like that writing has changed, like the writing of the stories have, has changed in order to accommodate binging. So like 
if you're going to binge watch 10 episodes of something, the writing has to be different. Sure. That's a good point. Yeah. And so I, I don't know. I think that's something that's changed. I mean, I don't, I don't know if I could exactly put it into words. We do also tend to watch things after they're done so that we can watch as many or as few episodes at a time. I've never sat and watched an entire series all at once. Yeah. So I've never done like officially like binged something in by the official definition, but I've definitely like maybe over the course of a week, I've done it. I will say one counter argument that I've heard to not doing the week to week idea is that when you, cause you mentioned the writing is this idea that like when you start a show, the writers don't like know for sure, like where every plot thread is going, right? They are kind of making it up as they go. And so there are times where that can end up really disappointing, right? Like the last season of Game of Thrones or Ozark is the most recent example. And then you feel like you've gotten to the end of this thing and you've wasted all this time on a show that ended terribly. And so I heard a guy online that I, I read his writing and he made the argument that I would rather wait for the whole show to be done so I know it's worth the journey before starting. Mm. And I think that's a pretty valid argument, I guess. Right. Yeah, that might incentivize the writers and producers to plan things a little better. To plan it better. Yeah. I know, because I do think the model is sort of they, they, they do the whole season and then every new season it's like we get together and where are we going? It's And that's my understanding. Now, maybe not every writing room is like that, but... It, yeah. Yeah. So there you go. Benging versus waiting. We'd love to hear your thoughts, listeners. Uh, write us in. So, all right, Dan, here we go. Let's get to business. So we are here today to yeah. talk about a movie, like we said, brand new, 2023 release, our first movie of the year that we're talking about, and that is Dungeons and Dragons Honor Among Thieves. What a yeah. title. Got a got a subtitle even so <laughs> a subtitle you know it's special dude i don't know i gotta be totally honest with you i did not want to see this movie because it's it's the title the title sounds so franchisey and generic and awful but you invited me with my son and we're like well, our sons are good friends and so it's always fun hanging out with you so you invited me and then i looked at ron tomatoes and i was like blown out of my chair that this had a 91 percent and i was like how is that possible the critics really liked this movie and i was like okay maybe it's actually good so i uh agreed to come along but i'm i guess the thing reason i was most trepidatious is because dungeons and dragons the game has always kind of been a bit of a turnoff to me for a couple reasons one it feels like the people that i've known that are really into it are really into it like it's a big deal for them right they're usually getting together every week they've got their troop or whatever and if you're not in that world no matter how much else you have in common you feel like you're kind of out of the loop of something that's very important to them you know right right and then there's like just a barrier to entry for the game itself i feel like because i like i don't mind complicated games like i like scythe you know that but like this is different because it's not like you can just go to Walmart, buy the game, read the instructions and play. You've got to like plan it out. You got to have a dungeon master and you got to do all this extra stuff. So I feel like the barrier to actually getting into it is hard. You got to pick a character and that character has to have like 50 steps of like, yeah, and all that stuff. So anyway, so that's why I've always been sort of eh, trepidatious about the game. And so then a movie about the game, I was like, ah, but before we get farther, I want to get more into the game element of it because I know there's some other people out there that are probably like me who either 
aren't very familiar with Dungeons and Dragons or are just like kind of turned off by the fanaticism that's out there. So could you explain for our listeners sort of just a general overview of what the game is and what you like about it? Because I know you've played it and you and you and have enjoyed it as a family. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, let me just uh, hold on a second. Okay. Yes, I can tell you about the game. I just rolled some dice. Oh. Because that's a big part of the game. And yeah, it's a, it's a role-playing game and it's a tabletop game. And so it was probably one of the earliest fantasy tabletop game. And yeah, I started playing probably in high school, although we were not allowed to play Dungeons and Dragons specifically because this was the 1980s. And in the 1980s, there was something called the Satanic Panic happening. Yeah. And so there are a lot of books being written by the early kind of evangelical industrial complex about the dangers of D&D because from what I was told the spells are real. Oh right? my gosh. Yeah. Now, are the spells real? No, they're not. They're as real as any spell, I guess. Uh <laughs> Yeah, the the you're right, John. You do have to create a guy or a character. Honestly, like to me, that's the most fun part. And you're right. It's like 50 steps long. There's a lot of dice rolls. You have to like roll a dice in order to generate your characteristics like strength, intelligence, dexterity, things like that. Okay. And, you know, every dice roll gets you some level in there. And then when you're playing the game, you have to roll a dice in order to complete certain steps. So if you're going to do a combat step, for example, I'm going to hit a werewolf with my sword. You got to do a roll, then you got to compare your stats to the werewolf stats, which are contained in a book called the Monster Manual. Oh, tells you all. I didn't know there was a book. Wow. Oh, John, John, there are hundreds of books. All right. So here's the thing. Here's the thing about Dungeons and Dragons. Like when you talk about a barrier to entry, that is 100% true because if you're going to do it like for real, you're going to need to upfront spend hundreds of dollars on materials. So whether that means like, you know, a set of dice. So, you know, I've got a set of, you know, basic set of like six dice or die as they call them. And so you have to have like a 20 sided dice, a 10 sided dice, a four sided dice, a six sided dice. And then you roll these for different reasons and for different things. So you got to at least buy some die. And then if you're going to, if you're going to be a dungeon master or a games master, then you need to purchase the books. And so the books are going to help you like create more in-depth storylines, create scenarios and situations. You can buy a book that just tells you like every town in the fictional land that Dungeons and Dragons takes place in. Oh, wow. Okay. And then you can say to your players, all right, everyone, we're headed over to Neverwinter, right? Which that's a famous town that's been in Dungeons and Dragons since the 80s. And mm-hmm. then it also happens to be where this movie takes place. Now, the, the thing I really love is creating the characters, like I said, and you have like different character classes. And so it's kind of like your job. So like you can be a barbarian. That's a kind of a classic one. You can be a cleric. There's a bunch of magical ones. You can be a monk, a fighter, a rogue, a wizard. There's a bunch of them. Mm-hmm. And basically you, you pick that one and then that one has special abilities that only that character can accomplish. So, I mean, in this movie, each of the main characters comes from that classic kind of character class. It's kind of fun to watch it and to try to determine like who was what. 
some of them are obvious. I mean, the barbarian is the one who's always going to be, you know, Holga in the movie played by Michelle Rodriguez, Michelle Rodriguez. She does a, an awesome job of being a barbarian and the, the barbarian's main ability or spe- everyone has a special ability. Every class does their main special ability is strength. So they have a modifier to their strength, which means that when you're playing Dungeons and Dragons, it's not a game where you have like a board that you like move your guy around. Literally the entire thing is made up. So it's like you might have a framework, a story framework that kind of has a narrative arc, but then everything else you kind of just do. So if I'm in a dungeon, classic example, I'm in a dungeon, which is basically a maze. I'm wandering around with my team, right? So I'm a barbarian. If I come up against a locked door, right? Then I could say to the dungeon master says, there's a locked door in front of you. What do you want to do? Then me and my team kind of stands around. We talk about it. Say, oh, we've got a wizard over here. Maybe he can use an unlock spell. Tries that. It doesn't work. I say, well, we've got a barbarian over here. Maybe she can just punch the door down. And then the, the games master will say, okay, well, roll for that. See if you can do it. So then the barbarian will like add all of her different abilities to it. And be like, well, I've got, a, I've got a plus 20 for strength. I've got a strength modifier that's going to give me more strength. I'm going to try to punch the door down. So like in the movie, you, you've got her like, you know, doing a lot of that, like doing a lot of these like superhuman feats of strength, whether that's like, you know, fighting 10 guys at once or throwing people through walls or whatever. Like that's all very classic D&D actions. Got it. So it's basically like you have all of these characters and they have different abilities that are unique to them and other abilities based on your roles. And then you work together and your dungeon master is sort of guiding the plot, the overarching thing. And then your team just sort of makes up stuff as you go with your dungeon master being sort of the referee that's like, oh, you can't do that or let's go ahead and do that. That kind of thing. OK, interesting. Yeah, exactly. And there's and there's a lot of imagination in it, which is why a lot of people love it. They love it because they love all the storytelling aspects. But then there's also like computer game versions of it, which are more fun than you don't need a whole. Team oh, that would be people. nice. That'd be up my alley. Because yeah, then that reduces the barrier. Right. You can just go play a, a role playing game. And so, yeah, it's a lot of fun. Okay. Well, cool. I mean, I get, I like the idea of that. And I did, that is the fun part of it. Like if I had a group of friends that taught me how to get involved and they were like, we're going to meet every week for the next year and it's going to be great. I would totally see myself getting wrapped up in the pure creativity of it. Cause you're just like, yep. you're literally forming a story together and that's like fun. That's really fun. Yeah. Cool. Dungeons and Dragons. All right. Thank you, Dan, for that. And yeah, and they made a movie about it. And that's what we went to see. So as I mentioned, this is our first movie of 2023 because Oscar season sort of like typically the Oscars are like February, March. And so at Cinema Faith and like most people who are really fans of movies, like the previous year sort of gets extended a few months because you're still seeing movies from the last year that are rolling out into the theater near you. And then the Oscars are sort of like the end of that last year. So that's why we've waited this long to get to a 2023 movie. And I think that the evidence that we are no longer in Oscar season was very apparent in our theater experience, Dan. I don't know if you noticed, but um, it wasn't quite Oscar fair on the screen that we saw before our movie. Uh, let's see. We had Fast and the Furious. What are we up to? Ten? Oh, my goodness. Is it? Yeah. Ten? Yeah, yeah. Ten. Holy cow. <laughs> um, zero interest in seeing the other nine, by the way. I did see the first one, which wasn't even that great. Transformers 7, oh, that's right. maybe? Yeah. <laughs> 
Maybe. I think Michael Bay's like back at the helm. Of- I don't think he's directing this one, but he's a producer, and so he's guiding yeah. it. He's donated like half of his life to Transformers for some reason that I'll never understand. Sort of like James Cameron, just sort of being like, well, it's Avatar forever. Here we go. <laughs> Um, yeah, so it was kind of a buzzkill for me. I don't know. I just don't like the whole, uh, when we're on number 10, number seven, it's like, you know, Hollywood, maybe we could try something new. Like, I think it's okay if we just go with some, there's just so many other good original stories to keep going back to that well over and over again. I'm I'm even over like Star Wars and Marvel these days. I just like, I'm done. Like we've done it. We've done everything you can do in these universes. And now it's time for new stories. That's that's unfortunately. I think uh, this Dungeons and Dragons movie is probably the first in a franchise. Yeah. I mean, this is the 50th anniversary of Dungeons and Dragons of its founding in 2024. And so I think what they're planning on doing is this, you know, expanding this world. You've got 50 years worth of stories to tell. And you're in the Marvel realm at that point. You've got all this material, all this source material to mine. Sure. And I will say that there are times, there are times where franchises can keep going and keep making quality films. And that to me is the most important thing, right? Like Mission Impossible, almost every Mission Impossible movie has been worth seeing. And I've been on the journey every time and I'm genuinely excited for the next one. Same with what I've heard, John Wick. I've heard John Wick is a consistently good movie. They're even saying this last one is the best one yet. So if you can maintain quality great but when you start i don't know i'm just a cranky old man man i'm just getting it's getting bad <laughs> i mean i'll i will say that sylvester stallone's rocky series mm. right i mean now it's like moved into the creed era i mean honestly like he built a franchise out of original content that he initiated like he wrote and directed the first rocky mm-hmm, so that was mm-hmm. like something from his heart and he's built this whole world which i'm impressed by you know? That is impressive, and Rocky Four is the best movie ever made. So I mean, Rocky Four is pretty good. It's the um, it's the Temple of Doom of Rocky movies, really. <laughs> if he dies, he dies. <laughs> God, I love that movie. Can get those Russians. We're gonna get them. The Ru- <laughs> if I can change, and we can change. Yeah, yeah, it's good stuff. Um. Okay. Yeah. So there were trailers, and they were bad, and I was very depressed. And then to make matters worse, after we got through that slog, then we have to get to. Well, first of all, there was like that weird Dungeons and Dragons teaser. I don't know why there's not a projectionist that is like understanding that we don't need this. But like literally right before the movie started, there was like the kind of thing that would have come out six months ago to get you excited that Dungeons and Dragons is coming soon someday. And like mark this on your calendar. That's what it felt like. It was like a dragon kind of breathing fire for two minutes. And then it was like Dungeons and Dragons. But like literally we've already bought the ticket. We're here. Like, I don't know. Right. What are you getting as excited for? Yeah, I wasn't sure if that was supposed to be like part of the movie initially or what they're doing. But yeah, right. Sure. And then the cherry on top, of course, is the cast roundtable where they thank us for coming, which has literally become the most annoying thing on planet Earth to me. I, I, I have no tolerance for it anymore. It was one thing when it was, hey, COVID happened. Thank you for, you know, venturing out with your mask to the theater today. Like, I get that. Like, you know, you're welcome. It's scary out here. But now, like, when we're past this, um, it's very annoying. And I don't know if you noticed, but, like, I, I like, covered my ears because it really bothers me. Like, it's a visceral thing. And the reason is, is because, like, it really, like, takes me out of the movie. Like, I don't want to see you 
as a real person with an Australian accent and then 10 minutes later have to see you in character. Like my brain just like explodes. Like I can't yeah. do this right now. So it hurts me. Well, and you could definitely tell Hugh Grant was not uh, <laughs> not real happy about the whole situation. So. Oh, yeah. That guy is such a curmudgeon. I love it. Yeah. So not a fan of that. But anyway, all right. So we finally got to the movie and we're finally going to talk about it. So let's. why don't we do a little plot overview here for people who you know, want to kind of follow along. We've already given you a backstory of the game. So, Dan, do you feel comfortable breaking down just general overview of what the movie is about without spoiling too much? Although we don't care about spoilers anymore. Yeah, well, I mean, we'll have to... We've already said that. Eventually spoil it, yeah. Yeah, sure, I could could take a crack at it. So we've got got a... Yeah, yeah, go go ahead. ahead. Well, Edgen, played by Chris Pine, right? Right. We first meet him, and he's in prison with his friend and caretaker, who you already mentioned, Holga, played by Michelle Rodriguez. So we meet them in prison, and we find a little bit about their backstory. Go ahead. Right, so they're in prison when when we meet them. They are adventurers that are kind of down on their luck. And then they escape from prison and that kind of like sets off this quest with a series of side quests, which again is very Dungeons and Dragons-y. There's never just one thing to do. There's like one main thing and then there's like 50 side things that you can do. So the movie really follows that format. You know, they want to go and rescue his daughter, but there's a bunch of obstacles in their way and they have to do a lot of side quests and build a little team kind of a, a mix of different characters with different abilities to go on these quests and recover some magical items and eventually, you know, try to fight the big bad. So, I mean, it was like a very classic kind of action adventure fantasy story. Yeah, especially since you got like this team that doesn't quite fit together, but somehow they're going to use their differences to make it work, right? You've got this a magician who's not very good at magic named Simon, played by Justice Smith, and you have a druid who I literally didn't know what that was, but I gathered from the movie that it's someone who can take the form of appearance of a human and an animal. Is that basically what a druid is? Sure, yeah. They have essentially nature magic. Okay. So in D and D, different magical characters use different magic systems. So the druid has nature magic, and yes, their most famous ability is to adopt different animal forms. Gotcha. So yes, the druid is Doric, and she's played by Sophia Lillis. And then, so you got Simon, Doric. Edgen and Holga, and they're all team up to rescue their daughter principally. But then there's, yeah, like a bunch of side quests that happen, like Dan said. And eventually uh, we and the main villain of the movie, I should say, is Hugh Grant, who plays Forge. And he is sort of like this megalomaniac who has kind of captured their daughter to an extent because he's whispered a bunch of lies about her parents to her, and so she's he sort of turned her against them. So he's kind of the main baddie. And then there's also this like sorceress woman that is his right-hand evil accomplice that is sort of controlling things and using him, but he thinks he's using her, etc. So yeah, that's the movie. And so this merry band of people who are very different from each other and don't even really like each other at first have to find a way to use their skills and you know, save the world. Yeah. It, it, I mean, the, the tone of it just totally reminded me of like classic eighties fantasy stories that I grew up with. I mean, like mm-hmm. the never ending story. Oh Labyrinth, yeah. 
The Princess Bride. It just has like this feel where it's just like, I mean, very family friendly, super fun and like a comedy fantasy. I mean, yeah, John, like you, I think I didn't know what to expect going into it. I thought it would just be like a nice diversion, but I like genuinely enjoyed the movie. Right. Because if you like, what was your anticipation level? Like if someone told you six months ago, like Dungeons and Dragons, you weren't like pumped about it, right? You were maybe no, curious. I, mean, I, re- I remember seeing the first trailer and thinking, well, that seems like they're trying really hard to start a franchise. That's just what it felt like. Yeah. But uh, I mean, I'm a fan of Chris Pine. I think he's he's good. And when he does comedy, he's just, he's got great timing. He's got great delivery. So I mean, he's worth watching. Let's talk about him. I totally agree. There is something, he just has this innate charm and comic timing, like you said, that really can carry an entire movie. And that's not an totally. easy skill. That's not just like, you either have that or you don't. Like, he can literally just take control of a movie and carry the audience along from beginning to end. And he, I really like Chris Pine. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. He's often referred to as Hollywood's greatest Chris. <laughs> yeah. Chris Hemsworth. Yeah. Chris Pratt would be the Chris other Pratt. one. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Captain America. Oh, yeah, sure. Chris Evans, I think. Chris Evans, yeah. Yep. But yeah, no, I, I I think he did a great job as kind of the lead. Although, uh, I mean, arguably, uh, Michelle Rodriguez, is, they were co-leads, I think. Mm-hmm. His story probably had the most backstory. So I think we were supposed to kind of mean to identify most with his character. But yeah, he did, he did a great job. Did a great job. And he, I mean, he's the reason why I love the original Star Trek reboot because he did the same sort of thing. He just like took this thing that could have been very nerdy, very stale and just injected life into all of it, you know, and he was like the energy of it. I feel like he's sort of a mix between Harrison Ford and Tom Cruise. It's like he's got the Harrison Ford ruggishness where like you could imagine him actually on a horse firing a gun or whatever. But like then he's also got Tom Cruise's charm that he carried into movies like A Few Good Men where he just is like the spark that keeps things moving from scene to scene. And so it's a really yeah. nice combo. Yeah. Maybe not quite as manic as Tom Cruise. Not but, quite as manic. You know, it's interesting because in this movie, his character, he was a rogue, which is one of the character classes. And the thing about Dungeons and Dragons is that there is, you know, there's like a huge rule set, right? So like, even if you just want to play using the basic rule set, it's at least one book, maybe two books. And these books are hundreds of pages with a lot of rules. And yeah, they're flexible. You can do stuff. But one of the character personality backgrounds is called alignments, right? So your character gets assigned an alignment. And your alignments are basically like your attitude towards order and society Mm. and so like you can be someone who's lawful right that's someone who tries to follow the law you can be someone who's evil you can be someone who's good and there's all these different layers of it so it's just kind of funny in the movie to see like chris pine's character was a rogue rogues don't have any magic powers they just are really good at being charming and planning and strategizing and things like that right they even say in the movie like why are you here and he's like i'm planning things like i'm the planner (laughs) Yeah. And then Hugh Grant's character was also a rogue, but they were they had different alignments, right? So one of them had a good alignment, the other one had an evil alignment, even though that they were on the same team initially. So we get a little bit of that backstory, but then they kind of split off. So they're you know, they're similar characters, but they're on opposite ends of the spectrum. Interesting. Both rogues, but with different ideas of good and evil and yeah. that kind of thing. Yeah. 
And then you got Michelle Rodriguez, who plays the co-lead, like you said, old Holga. She does a great job with the character. I mean, you know, she's a very physical actress, always has been. She's also a big fan of Fast and the Furious. I think she's been in all 10 of them. My goodness. (laughs) So, yeah, she's good in this. I mean, like, I don't know. You know, she does exactly what she needs to do. She's a, what what did you describe her character type is? Is a barbarian. Barbarian. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. Yeah, I thought she was great in this. I've not seen any of the Fast and the Furious movies, mm-hmm. but I think Michelle Rodriguez, she kind of plays the same type of character in, in most of her films. I mean, she's just kind of like this bold and brash. I mean, often has like a real physical presence. I mean, yes. her strength and frankly, violence is like a, a big part of her character. And I mean, that may just be like her personality is just suited really well towards that. I mean, she has a great physicality in all of her roles. Yep. So yeah, this really continued that. And it's just, you know, I mean, her character as a barbarian, like, you know, not known for their eloquence, right? Mm. There were whole scenes where she never talked. She would just kind of grunt. I mean, very, very much in like the classic kind of Conan the Barbarian uh, <laughs> a mold. So very good. But, but comedic at the same time. Like she, again, like has good comedic timing and is a great comedic actress. And worked really well with Chris Pine in that sort of uh, bouncing comic lines off each other and stuff yeah they made a good co-leads for this yeah yeah they had great chemistry you know yeah i hope if this does turn into a franchise and they keep going that they bring this cast back because it was you know 90 percent of it was this cast working together and having great chemistry together and you know you could take a bunch of separate actors and it just the movie wouldn't work so it's a huge part of it yeah and then Sophia Lillis is the one who played the druid. And I was like scratching my head because she looked so familiar. And then I remembered she was in It and It Chapter 2. She was like the redhead girl in that. And mm-hmm. I remember Tim and I reviewed the first It and we both said she was the standout in it. And she's a really good actress from such a young age too. So, And she was good yeah. in this too. Yeah, her character was great. She didn't have like a ton of backstory, but she had a little bit. She had enough, I think, that to give her character a little bit of like seriousness right yeah i liked her her backstory with simon how like they had this thing and he screwed it up because he was insecure and she was like yeah. she like doesn't remember him at first and then she's like oh, that's right yeah that was good <laughs> that was good and she has like open disdain for the whole team because she doesn't like working with humans and yeah. she's like yeah so i don't know yeah it, you're right it wasn't like she wasn't as central as the others but she like fit well with everything else and was a nice addition mm-hmm. and we've talked about simon a lot already he was played by justice smith and i liked him too because i like any character in a movie that's insecure because i've struggled with that my whole life and it's so <laughs> rare for hollywood characters because they're always so like i've got this figured out blah blah, blah. but like this guy's just openly like yeah i'm not a good magician i will not right. be able to help you when i you need it <laughs> <laughs> i like that it's honest yeah that yeah was good. he was funny he was good yeah i i was he looked so familiar to me and I was just like desperately trying to figure out where I had seen him. And, you know, he's the lead character in Detective Pikachu, which I think is everyone's favorite uh, movie from 2020. I don't remember when it was from. Maybe. Honestly, though, not a terrible movie. Really? Yes. Like, oh, my gosh. If you're, it's a, <laughs> well, as long as we're talking about like family friendly kind of adventure action stories, like it's not bad. It's not. It has nothing to do with like people playing a card game called Pokemon. Yes, it has Pokemon in it, but it's like, I don't know. I thought it was good. He was good in it. 
he's actually a great actor. He's not yeah. British. He's not British. He was, no, he's not. He's an, he's an American actor. So huh. he did I guess great, I imagined he was too. Accent. Yeah, yeah. yeah. A great accent in this. Again, uh, like real young guy as well. I think he's got theater background. He was also in is it called The Get Down. Mm. The I didn't Net- see that. Netflix series. Okay. I think he had a lead role in that. And I, from what I read, he has done some, what's that acting style that everyone hates? Oh, method? Yeah, he's done some method work. <laughs> yeah, I think in that one in particular, he like moved to New York to live in like, he's essentially squatting in New York because that was what his character did. So he wanted to like see how that felt like. So. I think it's so funny because like I don't I think method act, like whatever works for you I don't mind method acting all but some people you're right really hate it especially other actors who don't do it like the, yeah. the there's all this drama on succession because J- Jeremy uh, I forget his name um the guy who plays Kindle he's a method actor and like Brian Cox the he like openly disdains his process and it's just like you don't need to do that like that is it's annoying and you don't need to do it and uh Kieran Culkin is the same way he's like he's like I was talking to him and he was like yeah man it's like it's we each go to our corners and then we come out in battle and Kieran Culkin's like it's not a battle it's a dance and he's saying this in interviews I feel so bad for the guy it's like yeah. just let him do his thing it's fine anyway but yeah method acting I didn't know he was a method that actor there you go justice smith joining the ranks and last but not least we have mr hugh grant yeah what what can you say after all these years the guy's a legend dan love the guy yeah what's funny about him is that he grew up or he started out in his career playing all these sort of like really charming nice bumbling british people you know and like notting hill and four weddings and a funeral and then he came out with about a boy and i remember when that came out because people were like really shocked because he played this very self-centered like selfish dude and then you found out in interviews like his friends were basically like yeah that's pretty much more how he actually is (laughs) in real life which totally tracks yeah yeah (laughs) Yeah, yeah, definitely. I, I thought he was good in this. I, you know, a couple of the reviews that I read kind of, you know, maybe listed him as kind of the weak link in the cast, but I don't no. agree. I thought, I thought he was great. And I mean, again, like that charming kind of humor that, that he was known for at the beginning of his career, he still has that, you know, even though he's a bad guy, you almost, you almost root for him to change, you know, to not quite be the bad guy. And, and, you know, I guess, Technically, there's someone even worse than him pulling the strings. But. Sure, right. The sorcerer's just like evil, but that's what makes him different, right? He brings that sort of like roguish quality. So like even when he's talking, he's doing things that are not good, but you're still kind of charmed by him in some yeah. way. And you're like, oh, <laughs> he's kind of fun, but like also evil. Like, I lo- yeah, I love that. And only Hugh Grant really could do that sort of duality. So I thought he was perfect. I can't believe people said that. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. All right, let's move on and talk about some writing and directing. Dungeons & Dragons was written and directed by two people. One of them is primarily an actor named John Francis Daly, who's been in a lot of TV shows and movies, but the one most people will remember him from is Freaks and Geeks. He played Sam Weir in that show. And if you look at his picture, you'll remember him if you watch that show, which you should because Freaks and Geeks is a classic. Only one season, tragically, but a great show to revisit. He was basically, he was the geek, right? Or was he the freak? 
I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> but he was great in it, and here he is. He's writing and directing and still acting. So, And then the other director is Jonathan Goldstein, who's done a little bit of acting, but mostly directing. And their biggest credit so far is this movie called Game Night, which came out in 2018 with Jason Bateman. And I remember watching that. Did you ever see it? I don't think so. It's good. It's genuinely funny. It's a fun ride. Like it's one of those comedies that actually like the humor stays all the way through. And there's also like, you know, a fairly decent plot to it. Like I, we watched that on our like wedding anniversary or something, me and my wife. And it was actually like a really genuinely good movie. So yeah, that's their biggest credit so far. And here they are, they're back. I will say uh, there is one other writer that was that did help write. His name is Michael Gilio, but he doesn't have a lot of credits, so we're just we're just gonna ignore him and pretend yeah. that he doesn't exist. So, Dan, what did you think of John Francis Daly and Jonathan Goldstein's writing and directing? Like how they sort of handled this material? What did you think? Yeah, I thought it was great. They they did a great job of making all of the characters, even with just a broad brush of kind of a backstory for each of them, giving them all something that you really cared about. And then, you know, the direction I think shows through in the actor's performances. Mm-hmm. They were all funny. They all had great chemistry with each other. I mean, honestly, there was not a bad, not wasn't a bad performance in the batch. So I think that, you know, it was a lot to the directors, the action scenes they did a great job with, you mm-hmm. know, there was some fight scenes in there with like a lot of multiple people. There's a lot of CGI kind of magic scenes, but Nothing too, I don't know, I guess in my mind, there's there's kind of a worst case scenario, which is like typified by like the Marvel, like final battle type mm-hmm. scenes where it's so over the top CGI that you just don't care about anything. Everything feels weightless and placeless. I think here, you know, they did a good job of keeping things rooted to the characters. So, you know, I mean, there was a lot of cool scenery and a lot of cool like going to places and you know on little references to the D universe but ultimately it was a story about these characters and they really kept it tightly focused on them oh yeah absolutely totally agree like yeah especially about the action scenes you're totally right like that's like it becomes mind-numbing after a while when you've got like fifty thousand people all battling and blah blah, blah. it feels like you're just watching mm-hmm. a video game but they did a great job of rooting all the action and very you always know I don't know. It just felt very old school, I guess, in how they approached it, in which was nice. And I think the pacing was tremendous. Like, they just oh, yeah. really, yeah, everything moves. And it's just so, like, you're never bored. You're going from one thing to the next. And, yeah. And then you combine that with Chris Pine, who just has this ability to keep things moving with his charm and charisma. And it's magical. It's great. Yeah, the pace, totally, you're right. I mean, I, I get sick of movies. They don't just get to the point. Yeah. So, I mean, a slow, slow burn. I'll, I'll watch a slow burn every now and then, but it's not my preferred. I do love a good action movie. <laughs> but yeah, they did a great job with this one. I don't know. I mean, I, I kind of felt like there's not a lot of fat to trim, honestly. Mm-hmm. Like, I think, I think it was, it was, and it was a two full hours, I think. I think so. Yeah, two hours. Yeah. No, it's actually yeah. a little bit more. Honest, I think the runtime, because I remember looking it up before I went, was two hours and 14 minutes. Does not feel like that at all. No. no. Flies by. Yeah. Yeah. Even like the little, there's like side characters and, and things like that. And that I think we're done really well. Right. Like the cameo from, what's his name? The shirt guy in the movie that's like a famous actor that was in. Yeah. I recognized him. Like I recognized him and I thought, oh, I, I know who that guy is, but I don't 
remember. Bradley Cooper. Bradley Cooper. Yes, Bradley Cooper. There you go. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> he was so funny. I loved it because I'm short in real life. If anyone doesn't know, you can't tell by my voice, but I'm a guy I'm about 5'5". Five, five, and so, yeah, you know, here's one for the short guys. He was getting all these uh, tall, good ladies. It's like, there you go, man. There you go. Uh, yeah, that was good. Yeah, and I like the tone of it too. Like the for speaking to the writing, like it, it had a really nice balance of being kind of silly and irreverent while also actually telling a story that you care about with real stakes you know kind of felt like the first guardians of the galaxy in that way where you Mm -hmm. genuinely care about these characters and you care about what they're trying to do but at the same time there's these moments where they can kind of step back and be like this is all silly and we're just kind of all having a good time and it had that kind of tone which is great i think that is a apt comparison you know Mm -hmm. the other comparison i thought of after we got out of the film was if you take like all the funny parts of all the lord of the rings movies and make them one movie (laughs) <laughs> that's kind of what this was you're right because like there is like these weird little funny scenes in lord of the rings that maybe didn't quite fit the overall tone but were enjoyable this is like that you yeah. know but like times 10 for a, for a whole movie well it was like a mishmash of everything right it's like a little lord of the rings a little harry potter a little indiana jones some gladiator he's like let's take everything <laughs> in pop culture from the last 20 years and sort of make it into one little tidy package is how it felt and yeah. it works it just worked i don't know if it's sustainable over a franchise maybe right. you got to get good writers i think you got to get good directors throughout you can't just cheap it out keep that good cast coming but yeah and yeah. it was accessible you know for all the people who would be turned off by the dungeons and dragons title like you can go into this as a total newbie and they hold your hand and it is totally fine so yeah i appreciated that they don't ever say the word dungeon i don't think <laughs> you're right uh I, there's a dragon in it there's a couple dragons a fat dragon that was so funny he was like not your typical dragon this is not smog right. All right, Dan. Well, anything else you want to talk about before we move on to themes? I mean, well, I, <laughs> so when I so when when I was growing up, we lived in Lake Geneva, Wisconsin, and that is the home of Dungeons and Dragons. So the founder of Dungeons and Dragons, Gary Gygax, lived in Lake Geneva. He grew up there. He invented Dungeons and Dragons there. And uh, when I was a kid in the eighties. My dad would take me and my twin brother to the barber shop to get our hair cut. And right across the street from the barber shop was the Dungeons and Dragons store. Wow. And at the time, it was the only Dungeons and Dragons store in the world because it was just kind of a local thing. And again, we weren't allowed to go in mm-hmm. because the spells were real. But uh, <laughs> my dad my dad thought it was awesome. He loved the idea of like tabletop role-playing games. And so we would walk across the street when we were done with our haircuts, we'd go sit and then we'd go stand in the picture window and they had these really elaborate scenes built in the window of hmm. like castles and dragons and little figurines. There are everything's like really painted up. And, and so that's like one of my fondest memories of Dungeons and Dragons. And then the Dungeons and Dragons factory was also in my hometown. Wow. So that's where they made like all the early figurines, all the books were printed there they also had a dice. They would make dice out of there as well. And so my, my dad, you know, I mean, this was back when he was a young guy and he worked not too far from there for the local gas company. And so he'd have to go past the Dungeons and Dragons building on his way to work. Mm-hmm. And he every once in a while would stop and go through the dumpster oh, no. <laughs> and he would pull out all of the stuff that they would throw away. And oh. so we had a big, huge cloth bag filled with dice. I mean, there was probably 
150 dice in there. And I mean, they, a lot of them had imperfections, little air bubbles in them or cracks or something, but we use those die, you know, for my entire life growing up, we use them, we break them out for every board game. And my dad would pull little figurines out of the dumpster and bring those home for us. So I think my brother has the sack of dice now. Love it. I didn't know there was such a hometown connection, Lake Geneva, Wisconsin. And then the fact that you got the, like the original artifacts right right from the heart of it. That's so cool. Yeah. A lot of fun. There's a, they actually did, they just put a statue of the founder of Dungeons and Dragons in Lake Geneva. So if you're ever traveling in Wisconsin, in southeastern Wisconsin, you can go see the statue of Gary Gygax in Lake Geneva. Beautiful. And I like that idea too, that like your dad thinks like this is kind of cool and fascinating, but also definitely evil. (laughs) Right. Right. Well, and we could play like other role-playing games. That's the funny thing. Like as long as they didn't have that like magic system in it. So we played like others, we played ones that were like more science fiction based or more, you know, that, that kind of thing. I mean, they all had some version of magic. They just didn't always call it magic spells. They didn't always have druids or warlocks in them. Mm-hmm. But, you know, they always had some kind of weird system. It reminds me of the Harry Potter controversy is like there's such a, yeah. you know, Christian backlash against Harry Potter. And I remember even as like in high school being like, I'm pretty sure it's not evil. Right. Pretty sure. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's talk about some themes. So, what do you, what are some themes that stood out to you? And and Tim's not here this time, so we can get really Jesusy. I'm not. I'm just kidding, Tim. Oh, Tim's like a, Tim. Tim's like a reverend. Like for crying out loud, right. that's, that sounds mean. I'm just saying the thing with Tim is is that he gets really. Um, he cares a lot about the director's intent and God bless him. That's good. That's important. So yeah. whenever I get to like, this is like Jesus, he's like, I don't think the director meant for it to be like Jesus. <laughs> so like, I know Tim, I know, but we're still going to go there. So let's go. Well, there. I don't know. Fun. I mean, I, I don't know if I have anything directly to say about that, but. <laughs> okay. Well, what do you got? What do you got? So, I mean, I think that one big theme and maybe, maybe not, maybe it's the biggest theme is family, right? Mm. So, you know, we've got our lead. Ed or, or Edgen, he's kind of the dad, right? So he had a wife. He and his wife were very much in love. They had this baby girl together, and then his wife was killed by some evil wizards. And so then Ed had to figure out how to raise this baby by himself. And so then we're introduced to the character of Holga, the barbarian, who essentially just shows up at the tavern where Ed is kind of drinking himself into a stupor, trying to figure out what to do with this baby. And so she and he become a family with this baby. You know, I mean, he, he explicitly says, you know, sh- we were like siblings, right? Mm-hmm. So they don't have a romantic relationship. You know, they're not a husband and wife, but they are parents to this little baby and they raise her. And so, you know, we don't see the ensuing years. There's a couple of scenes, you know, like Rocky training montage style. We see, you know, some of the baby like growing up and then the bulk of the film takes place when she's probably, I don't know, 12, 13, something like that. Yeah. So, you know, over the course of her life, she knew her father and she knew Holga the Barbarian as her mother, essentially. And so, like, you, you have this story of these two parents who are trying to reclaim their daughter. But then to kind of throw a monkey wrench into the whole thing, Edgen discovers that there is a magical artifact that can bring his wife back from the dead. So, you know, he's trying to recover this artifact and his goal is, you know, to get his daughter back, then to use this artifact to bring his wife back from the dead so that they can be a family again. So then he has to kind of make 
a tough decision regarding that. I mean, uh, we can, we'll, we'll just, I mean, we can spoil we it. We can spoil it. We spoil things. <laughs> Why are you yeah. listening to an hour long podcast in a movie if you don't want anything spoiled? That makes no sense. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, that kind of brings the entire thing full circle when Holga dies and he has to decide to me, like that was a very effective talk about the writing. That was a very effective line where he said, you know, I wanted to bring back my wife, but Holga is your mother, right? So it's like mm. to this girl, you know, she never knew her birth mother. And so for him to bring back this woman that in his mind, he's justifying like, I'll bring her back. Your mom's going to be back in the picture. We're going to be a family again. But the girl wouldn't know her as a mother. She would just know her as a stranger, essentially. And he realizes that, yeah, I want to bring back my wife because I love her and, and my own kind of selfish desire. But what's better for our family is for you to have the mother that raised you. Yeah, and the, it, it's also would have been a bit of a selfish decision for his from his wife's perspective because they even make a reference to the fact that you know in this universe she is passed on to another dimension or a plane or something. So you'd be kind of forcing her back into this thing just so that you can have your time with her. And how would that affect her? So it's a very right. unselfish choice that he makes, and it's very beautiful. It was moving, genuinely. Yeah, yeah, it really was. And I, yeah, and, and so I think, I think family was like a huge theme. You know, we, you had other characters that were kind of dealing with similar things. I mean, Holga had been rejected from her tribe because she decided to marry someone who was outside the tribe, right? And then her husband rejected her. And so her husband essentially like, you know, issued a divorce or however it works in the D and D world. Uh, but throughout the film, like she's still trying to come to terms with that and deciding kind of, you know, where does her, where is she finding that kind of intimacy, you know? So again, like I, I really appreciated the fact that they didn't try to make the two leads into a couple. Yeah. Like it seemed like that was a very intentional decision to just like, no, we're not going to do that. There was a couple jokes here and there, but I mean, ultimately like you could tell it just wasn't going there. And I, and I was pretty happy with that. And how cool and redemptive is that, that Holga would come along and help raise this girl who needs a mother, who needs that influence in her life without it being entangled with any sort of what I can get from you romantically or whatever. It's just, we're going to partner up together. I think it's, that's just right. like such a rare thing. It's beautiful. Yep. Yeah. And I liked how, just different everyone was you know it's like that this group became a family and just mm -hmm. like a family like they're just all so different and they all have their own unique thing that they bring to the table but like it's all becomes needed you know and it all like i don't know i just think i just think that's a, just a beautiful idea that like every one of us has these unique gifts and abilities and then you know, we are, it's sort of like we all have this role that we play. And if you look at the course of their mission, there's like this moment where every single person, you know, plays their part that only they can play, you know? Right. And yeah, I think that's cool. And it's like, it's like that in real life. It's like, even if you share a, a race or a, or a, you know, a skill or whatever in D and D, you still have your own spin on it, your own flavor. Like you right. mentioned the two, the rogues that are like totally different. And I feel like it's the same thing with our own skills and our own passions, right? Like someone might love movies just as much as me, but I'm going to talk about them in a different way than another person is going to talk about them. So I just think that it's what makes us all sort of, Ooh, let's get it. A part of the body of Christ, Dan. We're all, uh, <laughs> you know, 
Is that what the director's intended? Yeah, uh, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, pretty sure. We're all like, you know, you could be a foot, you could be a hand. Everything's needed, Dan. That's what Paul right. Paul would say. Well, I think, I mean, yeah. And there's, I mean, definitely like, you know, you look at the at the different like abilities and to use Christianese, the giftings, right, of <laughs> these characters. But yeah, also all of us. I mean, that's that's what makes being part of a community interesting, right? I mean, definitely like, the reason that our community exists within the church is so that we can, you know, build each other up, right? So it's like a, it's kind of an internal engine to build each other up as family. And why diversity is so important in the church, right? And right. not, and why homo, homo, homogeneity, homogeneity. <laughs> homogeneity. An, homogeneity is such an insult to the body of Christ because that's the whole point is that we are different and that we need each other in our differences, whether it comes to you know our actual version of race and all the other things that we bring to the table that are different. Yeah. Right. And using that same body of Christ metaphor, I also, you know, Paul says in one passage that, you know, we even the weakest parts of us, we how does he say it? Like even, or the most shameful parts of us, we cover up or something, but they're actually the most important, you know, whatever. And I don't think he's talking about our genitalia, but like, <laughs> but it's true. And I think that's cool Is because going? <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's what he's talking about. What else are you covering up? I don't yeah, know. That's probably it. Point is, is that like, I liked how all of them are very weak, like in their own ways. Like they don't, um, you know, like Chris Pine gives that great speech at that one point where he's like, we're all failures, basically. Like we've all right. screwed it all yeah. up and me worst of all. And then he talks about how he's like, like messed up everything in his life. But he's like, but at some point we just got to keep going. And, you know, and I, I don't know. I think that's beautiful. And I like, well, I think we like that. Inherently, we like stories of people who, don't have it all figured out, who are weak, but yet somehow accomplish something great in their weakness, right? Because that's like a reflection of the story. I mean, that's like literally our story. It's the gospel. It's like God became a baby and he redeemed the world by dying. It's just, it's always like that. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's the, it's the contrast between, you know, what some people would call like theologies of glory, which is basically like, you know, my, my God or my beliefs are going to make me somehow superior to other people or other ideas and things like that versus like theologies of suffering, which yeah. I think is where Christianity really hits the sweet spot. You know, I mean, literally like, you know, Jesus overcomes by suffering and dying. Yeah. And that's the only way he could have done it. And so that's our path. You know, I mean, if we're doing it right, then we're not going to be, you know, at the centers of power and wealth and privilege. We're going to be actually giving up power, wealth, and privilege and, you know, looking for weakness so that we can, you know, put our skills and abilities and giftings towards lifting up the weak and the powerless. Right. And that's because that's like what, where Christ is. It's like Christ has like an allergy to arrogance and pride and like, you know, people who think they have it all together. And he just, he, he, it's, I think it's fair to say like he shows favoritism towards the weak and the suffering and the, you know, I mean, I'm, that's a bit strong because obviously we believe God loves everyone and is trying to save everyone, but you see it in Jesus's life and his ministry that there is a definite preference for the weak and the vulnerable over the strong and the proud. Right. Yeah. I got a Richard Rohr quote for you. You love Richard Rohr. Oh, here we go. Yeah. <laughs> Richard Rohr says, when humans are too smug or content, we have no real need for or understanding of grace 
or mercy. Those are just like pious words. I'm doing quite well by myself, we say to God, and the great transformation can never happen. In the spiritual world, nothing is more of a dead end than any kind of self-sufficiency or autonomy. So Jesus hides out with the crucified ones. He's found wherever the pain is found. Jesus is always loyal to human suffering more than to any group or religion, and that's where we'll meet him. Those who heart, whose hearts are open to human pain will see Jesus everywhere, and he'll seduce them from that vulnerable place because that's God's hiding place so that only the humble will find him. Love that. Yeah, I mean, it, it makes me think of the... Uh the self-emptying of Jesus, right? I mean, that's like one of his main characteristics. You know, he, he emptied himself and took on the characteristics of a slave. I mean, that's, that's literally what that verse says in Philippians. He, he became like a slave, which in Roman culture is the lowest of the low. Mm-hmm. And yet that's what Jesus said. And he said, if you want to be a part of my kingdom, you need to serve. Yep. Take up your cross every day. Like that's literally our calling. It's crazy. Right. Yeah. I guess we did we, find the Christian character of this you know movie. Always, yeah. <laughs> Tim would never allow this. <laughs> Shut it all down. No, I love it, man. This is like a Christian movie, Dan. This is what I'm saying, man. It's like you got all this truth pouring through, and then what do they do in the end? They defeat evil, this evil witch mm-hmm. person. They take back their daughter, and then they give all the money to the poor. Like, why can't this be the template for Christian movies? You don't need some big conversion scene. Just like, this is truth. It's great. I love it. Yeah, it's true. I mean, it's sometimes looked down on as almost naive or immature to look at Christianity as a cosmic story of good versus evil. That's still how I look at it. I mean, that's probably why I was such a big fan of Star Wars as a kid. Yeah. Because it's that cosmic story of good versus evil. And, you know, Dungeons and Dragons plays right in that same pool. You know, I mean, you've got all these great evil figures and, you know, got good guys trying to make it right. So a lot of that carries through. There you go. Beautiful. All right, Dan, it's time to wrap this train up. What are your final thoughts on Dungeons and Dragons Honor Among Thieves and your letter grade? Yeah. Final thoughts. I feel like I've said everything I need to say. That's okay. <laughs> I mean, again, I think it is a it's a movie that's definitely worth seeing, especially if you're looking for like a fun family film that's not animated. Just it's got all the right blend of adventure and humor. And if you like genre stuff, got the fantasy in there. It plays with your expectations. But it's not so like overly sophisticated where they're pulling all these kind of meta tricks on you. Yeah. It's just a fun film. So even if you're considering it, even a little bit, I think it's worth going to see. And, you know, why not go see it at the theater? You know, I mean, I, I've heard that the, the movie stars love it when you come to the theater and see it there. And, <laughs> Thank and you'll, you personally. <laughs> and you'll be, a, you'll be a hero for doing so. Yeah. Great. What's your letter grade? I think I'm going to... Man... I think I'm going to give it an A minus. Sure. There you go. I honestly, there's not a lot that I would say is bad about it, that I would say this needs to be cleaned up or tightened up or anything. I mean, maybe you could chop a minute or two out of it, but yeah, I'd give it an A minus. I would definitely watch it again. And then for me, like that's, that's saying a lot. I don't like to rewatch movies because once I know the whole story, it's kind of boring, but I would definitely watch this one again. It was that, it was that much fun. Yeah, perfect. Hey, man, I agree with you. I think it was like the perfect movie to kick off this new year. And I mean, we're not like technically in the summer movie season, but this felt like 
exactly the kind of summer movie that I love, like from the past, you know, like before everything got so superhero-y, these are the kind of movies, I mean, I guess you could call this sort of a superhero-ish film, but it's it just feels like kind of an old school summer movie, and it's not, you know, Transformers 7 and Fast and the Furious 10, it's just like good popcorn entertainment, and I, you know, had a bucket of popcorn, Dan, and nachos, and M&Ms, and a cherry yeah. Pepsi, and it was just a great fun two hours at the movies and you should go see this in the theaters yeah and honestly like so our sons that we brought along are they're older like they're 15 Mm -hmm. you know they've already been ruined by the world but i would say that like my son he was like i loved that movie he said that was one of the best movies that he's seen yep mine too yeah so i mean it's definitely like it's appropriate for young kids but i mean teens will like it too i think unless they're extremely cynical which probably both ours are. But anyway, they still liked it. And it's fun. It is fun. And like I hate how yeah, because like we saw the Mario movie the other day, which Oh, did I you know? Didn't like it. Sorry, I didn't like it. Um but like so that got bad reviews and like my son was like, Oh, did the critics not like it? Blah blah blah. And he's like, Well, the audience score is fantastic. And he's like, yeah. You just don't know how to have fun. And I'm like <laughs> I do know how to have fun. This is fun. Like Dungeons and Dragons is my kind of fun. It's the kind of fun where you don't have to leave your brain at the door where it's not like mind numbing. It's like, like, you know, I think I made this metaphor with Tim uh, on a podcast recently, but it's like shoving, you know, a handful of candy corn in your mouth is fun for five seconds. (laughs) And then it's not fun. That's how the Mario movie was to me. But this is like like candy corn. (laughs) No, you do. This is like the kind of fun that you don't feel guilty about after afterwards that you just really do have a wonderful time with whoever you went with so yes go see this movie go see it in the theater like i said i think this is the top gun maverick of 2023 and that no one expected anything of this movie and it's genuinely a delightful experience and i dan am also giving it an a minus i think that's exactly the right wow i know okay we we agree for once (laughs) we agree for once we did not agree on Avatar 2, but we'll save that for another day. (laughs) Dan liked that movie, and I thought it was horrible. Anyway... Well, I, uh, all right. I'm not going to try. I'm not going to defend gonna, my, we're not going there. my score on that. Anyway, that'll be next time. All right, there you have it. The movie is Dungeons & Dragons, Honor Among Thieves. It is playing in a theater near you, and go see it in a theater near you. Get some popcorn. Get your nachos. It's summer movie time, baby. And, yep. you know, I mean, enjoy it because, you know, once fall comes again, it's going to be all R-rated serious schlock for the <laughs> for five months so you better enjoy this movie all right so dan hey thanks for coming man i really appreciate you filling in once again you did it on short notice and i really appreciate you i know our listeners love listening to you so thanks for making the time for us yeah it was a lot of fun i I love coming on the show so i appreciate that you guys uh, shout me out and i consider that to be a badge of honor oh that's nice and you know you'll be back soon enough tim will be you know, in some other hellscape like Italy or Ireland someday soon. And you He's can already just been to Italy once this year, hasn't <laughs> Oh, he? he'll so, go back. He'll be back in three you know, months. It's all good. We're going, going to Spain next, maybe. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's good. What a life. All right. So, <laughs> all right, Dan. Hey, thanks again for coming. And next month, we will be back, should be back to our normal rotation. Tim should be back in action. And we don't know what we're going to be reviewing next, but hopefully it'll be another fun movie. That's my hope anyway. So, 
Until then, keep the faith, my friends, and we will see you next time. <laughs>